Welcome back, everybody. Another edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. Hope everybody has had a good week. Have a pretty special guest here today, a name that you guys probably all know, making his appearance back on the show, Mr. Brandon Marcello. Brandon, welcome back to the show. That uh, Did you create this? Was, was this your baby from a long time ago, or I mean, you used uh, to run it? No, you know, I, uh, Keith, Keith, I think, started the podcast up, and then I had to start producing it. Okay. So he, but, yeah, yeah. Um, it's good to be back on, and um, it's been a while. Yeah, we're trying to we're trying to keep the ship afloat here without you. Well, you to... guys are doing a much better job than when I was there. I, I've seen the numbers. Oh, you're too kind. I, okay, no, I'm being yep. serious. I've seen the numbers. You guys are doing better without me, so cool. it's good. Got the stats. Got the advanced analytics on it. Well, <laughs> you might be wondering why we have Brandon on the show today. Uh, as most of you know, he is now a national reporter for twenty four seven Sports, but. Brandon is in Auburn right now. We are not in the same room, but I think we're like 15 miles from each other. But uh, <laughs> Brandon talked to Brian Harson today, was able to sit down, and you just told me that you talked to him for like an hour. So obviously the the head man, everybody around here wants to know um, everything he's got to say. So Brandon, you're, you're doing a story on this at some point. So this is partially to get everybody to want to read that story because it'll be great. But you just, you know, from covering Gus Malzahn for so long, and now it's a new Auburn coach, just – before we get into what he actually said, what were your impressions of this hire when it happened from afar, when he came from Boise State, when you saw that, and now kind of what were your impressions of him getting to see him the first time? Um, was it everything you kind of expected? Is he kind of the guy that you expected him to be? Um, and I guess just kind of your general thoughts on him since you were a Malzon guy, covered Malzon forever. Yeah, my, my first impression was like everybody else. I was like, whoa, that hire came out of left field, of course. And my second thought was knowing how things kind of have worked at Auburn and, and with hires and everything, especially the big hires. I, my second thought was, whoa, Alan Green made the hire. This is the guy he wanted to hire. And he didn't listen to maybe some outside persuasion um, that may have affected his decision making. And um, so I was impressed by that. I, it came out of left field and I was like, it looks like that Alan Green, the athletics director, hired who he wanted. And my, but my third thought was, okay, like everybody else probably is what he's done at Boise State and Arkansas State's been good and all, but all right, you're getting the SEC. You've never coached in the SEC. The closest you've come uh, to being around there is being an OC at Texas and, of course, the head coach for a year at Arkansas State. Um, and so sitting down today, uh, with him, I kind of went in with those, with that in the back of my mind, I, I wanting to kind of hear face to face and see him face to face, like how he thinks what he's, he did at Boise state will translate into the sec. And how does he build a, a bull blueprint to be able to, to beat some of these teams in the sec that Auburn obviously has had some issues with and mostly Georgia and Alabama, but Georgia, and LSU, in my opinion. And so, yeah, uh, you know, it, it was a very solid hire and uh, I thought the best hire probably of the off season, um, even though there wasn't a lot of jobs open, uh, but there's still lots of questions out there because, you know, he, he has no experience recruiting the, this, this region of the country. And 
Um, he's got, a, he knows he has to prove himself quite a bit, which we will talk about more here in a little bit. Yeah, I'm interested to know because he had such a broad kind of perspective of the job just coming from the outside. Um, and, you know, he could talk about it ad nauseum what their plan was. But now, I mean, they've had spring practice, they're in recruiting. The rubber has hit the road a little bit. So I'm interested to know, Brandon, you're talking about recruiting and talking about that plan. Um, what is the outline? for them and for Auburn right now, when he was just kind of giving you the pitch, like you were a recruit, what, what was, what was the number one thing that he talked about? Obviously he, he got a, a pretty good staff in there, made a lot of pretty good hires with his position coaches and his coordinators. Um, but I'm just interested to know whether any of that pitch has changed, whether he he's, he's learned a lot since the beginning of it. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I, I kind of went into this and I, I was, I, I made it my, my, purpose to like not read anything he has said since he was hired at Auburn. So I wouldn't go in with any notions of what I already know what he's going to say. So what I'm saying now might end up being something you guys have heard already, but I, I asked them specifically, like when people think of you fair or unfair, they think of you going to Boise state and being a, a developer guy, you know, that's always been Boise State's thing. Like, oh, we'll take two-star guys. We've taken a walk-on and made him a first-rounder. We, you know, we've taken three stars and made them into four-star type talent. And I asked him, I was like, listen, if you look at the numbers, I mean, listen, I, I work for 24-7 sports. We work for 24-7 sports. We keep up with recruiting. It's the lifeblood of programs. But even more so in the SEC, where if you don't have top 10 recruiting classes, on a pretty regular basis, you're just simply not going to compete and win SEC championships. It's just what we've seen in, in recent history. And so I was like, so how do you lean into your pedigree of being a guy that recruits players and brings them in and it stars don't really matter to you. And then you develop them when in the SEC, at least as of now, that has proven to not be a winning approach as far as championships. You can't lean on every recruit being better than what people think on paper, especially when it comes to recruits in the SEC because they got more eyes on them to be evaluated by recruiting analysts. So I setting that up, he said we can marry the marry the two. He says we're still going to go get four and five star kids. But the big thing is, and you've heard every Auburn football coach since the beginning of time pretty much say this, we've got to get them on campus so they can see our campus yep. and that'll help change some minds. And he said, listen, we're not going to get even the type of kids we want every time because other big schools are going to go after them and they're going to fall in love with those schools maybe. But he believes they're still going to get four and five star kids. And the, the hope is, at least my interpretation of it is, I don't know really how the recruiting is going on right now, but the expectation is when things open up in June, that's when Auburn's going to be a little bit, maybe of a hotter commodity for some of these recruits, because this will be the first time they've been on campus um, because of this freaking pandemic. Um, and that'll probably, maybe we could see, I guess maybe the tune shifting a little bit, but certainly he said, he said, we're going to go get the best players across the country and uh and try to develop them and he said listen it's great if you know when four and five star kids get here he says but what really matters is are they four and five star kids when they are leaving school um and going trying to go to the nfl because a lot of four star kids you know they leave and 
they, they're pretty much two stars because they're getting undrafted. They're not being drafted and they're free agents. So we'll see. But um, I we have to see it in action. You know, it, it's it's seeing him try to marry those two ideas will certainly be uh, uh, an interesting uh, discussion to be had, say, after his first full recruiting class and we see how that worked. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's something that Gus talked about so much. And so that's interesting that he said that. I guess it's not surprising, but I mean, he hasn't been, he hasn't been on campus that long. Gus was there forever. And when the pandemic started, that's what Gus would tell us a lot. Be like, it really sucks to not have these kids on campus because Auburn is one of those ones that has the draw because of that. So to hear him say that, he kind of has an understanding of what it's going to mean. And obviously now June 1st, things are going to open back up and they're going to be allowed to have those recruits back on campus. He's been sending out the, or the staff has been sending out now more diverse offers. You can see kind of his West coast background. They've been kind of in big 10 country a little bit, sending out offers there talking about the diversity of his coaching staff. It's a completely different staff other than Cadillac Williams from last year. Um, What did he have to say about them? Because he's had a lot to say about Mike Bobo and Derek Mason and, you know, wanting to work with them for a long time. I'm wondering if that's something that came up today because it seems like he was pretty excited to have them on because he had wanted to work with them early in his career. And now he's finally got a chance to. To be honest, we didn't quite talk a lot about his staff. So I probably did a patch off <laughs> that I didn't bring it up. We, we talked a lot, a lot of other things and some other stories I'm working on outside of Auburn um, okay. and, and dealing with Boise State. And But when it came to staff, he talked a lot about um, – uh, the connections he's made with them um, since he's been on campus and trying to, his big thing is he wants people on staff for him that he isn't just like hiring a gun, so to speak, where he's like, oh, that's the best name available. And someone said, go get him and pay, pay him $1.5 million, so to speak, you know? And I think we saw that a little bit at times with Gus's staff uh, in the previous regime is that, they would just go get the hot commodity, so to speak, and think that would be a quick fix. But the reason why I mentioned that is because it just didn't, it, he wants fits in the staff where they're all kind of on the same page, where they believe in the same mission statement, so to speak. And um, because that's, that's the blueprint for him that, that has worked at, at Boise state. And before him, before he was head coach, he talked about when Chris Peterson that was there and Dan Hawkins, he talked a lot about that, about how, the reason why that those programs were successful from coaching change to coaching change, because all of them knew each other and they had either played against or not against each other, but played for each other or were coached by others on that same staff. And he wanted that consistency. And so rare do we see that nowadays in power five football because people are coming and going. And so this is a kind of a staff that he wants to be able to one to keep together, but two that, he had to make sure completely understood where he was coming from and not to say it was his way or the highway, but I think there is a little bit of that too. Is listen, you better understand what I want and be on board with it. Because if you have any, um, you know, point of contention with it, then it's just not going to fit and work. This was your first time right in Auburn since, since Gus left. Correct. Yeah. I haven't been uh, here since March of, I guess, right when the pandemic started really. Yeah, so the big thing everybody wanted when Gus, and not to talk about Gus too much, I know everybody loves when we talk about Gus, but uh, <laughs> with him out, everybody, you know, I think people kind of recognized he raised the floor a little bit at Auburn, had a lot of good seasons, but just the losses were yeah. added to that inconsistency. Culture change is a big word that was thrown around a lot. When you stepped into that building 
today and you talked with Brian Harson after talking to Gus for so long, how much of that was apparent to you and what kind of a vibe do you get from him in terms of what the culture difference might be now to a few months ago when Gus Malzahn was still here? Well, I'll say this. It does seem like Brian Harson's office is much more work oriented. I don't know how to better put that. Okay. I mean, he had like, I'll just describe the scene like along one wall. He had like a, almost like, you know, the, like in Silicon Valley, uh, you would see those dry erase boards that are clear that you write on. They're really cool looking. I don't know. I'm old, but he had like one of those. He had all kinds of plays drawn up on it and everything. And then next to that, he had like another board. And then when I walked in on his, one of his, one of his uh, computer screens, a widescreen, he was watching film. Um, and I noticed it was, I think one team was Ole Miss and um, he had it paused and we can't, he came over to talk. His table is filled with papers, just and he looks like a paper guy. Um, I don't know how to say that. He had notes everywhere that he had been writing throughout the day and uh, on his desk. So, uh, and based off what I understand, he's a no-nonsense type of guy um, yeah. with some of the player, with with all the players. And I don't think he's he puts up with, well, we did it this way. He's, he's like, no, you're going to adjust to the way I kind of do things and what we do things. And if you want to be a part of that, great. If not, you probably ought to go find somewhere else because you're not going to be successful here. So that's the, the, the understanding that I had just from talking to him a little bit about that type of thing, but also looking around that office, you know, so many coaches office nowadays, it's they're crystal clean and yeah. he's a football guy. And yes, and all they have is just, you know, here's a picture of me getting a football from so-and-so, and here's the game ball from that. He doesn't have a lot of that stuff up. He's got – it's a work – it looks like an office you would walk into and someone's yep. going, oh, sorry, let me clear this out for you. That's that's kind of my impression I got. I've talked about this with a few people. I'm wondering how much you guys got into it. You brought up the the players and, and them dealing with, obviously, the coaching change. I was a bit surprised – and I think a lot of people were, he's been transparent about it. Like you said, being like, no, you know, we have to change and I'm going to set a pretty high standard. Um, I believe it was the Nicole Auerbach story. Who's on the national beat with you talk to him. And he was like, yeah, um, we've got to change things up because, you know, we'll have workouts and you know, five or six guys will show up an hour late and five or six <laughs> guys won't show up at all. And I was like, what, how is that possible at an SEC program? in the off season. I, I guess how much I, of that did y'all go into? We didn't go into that quite a bit, but my understanding is um, previously there was almost like a tiered system of, of uh, you can get away with this, but the, you can't, this player can, this player mm. can't. Yeah. Um, which that causes disciplinary issues when it's completely unfair. We all know that. And so it's not too surprising to hear you say him, say that, that he said that um, considering what I know of how it was under the previous staff. I'm trying not, I'm trying my best not to throw anybody under the bus, but you're yeah, doing a that, good job. That makes a lot of sense based off how it used to be. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think, I really do think that when people wanted the change from Gus Melzon, this, you, I mean, there was a lot of other candidates involved that were high level coaches that I think would have done a good job, but in terms of just overall turning the program on its face, and kind of getting a different form of leadership in there. I do think Harson was 
kind of a big difference. Brandon, you're, you know, you're national and cover every team in the country, but you know, your last two beats have been on the SEC and you do a really good job of having a focus on the SEC. Um, where does Brian Harson fit for you right now? And what do you think he has to do just in general over the next few years? Because I feel like people are understanding that maybe next season could be a little rocky. I mean, it's hard to make a transition. And then even, even after that, he might not have his, his, all his recruits in here yet. Yeah. You understand the hierarchy at Auburn and how people are better than anybody. Um, what does he have to do to not make people go crazy? And and how long is it going to take, you know, where he won't compete for championships and people get restless? I guess what what does your timeline look like right now for him speaking sort of broadly? Um, I'll, I'll say this. As long as Alan Green is here, he's for like the next three or four years, if he's still Alan Green's still here, he'll be safe because he's going to give him the time and he's Alan Green's guy. But for what Brian Harson can and do and what they're wanting to do, um, I do think it'll take time. He didn't say that today. He, you know, he's not going to say that. Obviously, no coach is going to say it's going to take time. Um, though quickly here, I don't know what I, listen, like I said, I didn't read a lot into this, but he pretty much he made it no uncertain terms that Bo Nix is a starter and he's going to be the guy at quarterback, by the way. Yeah. Um, That's relevant. I, was, I did not ask it um, with my recorder on, but as I was leaving, I was like, how's Bo Nix looking? Are you, is that your guy? He goes, oh yeah, he's my, he's our guy, you know? So maybe he was just talking. Who I'd knows? love for he's just sick. one of these days, a coach to be like, no man, he's, he's not good. He just sucks. <laughs> well, yeah. He Everybody's talked- great in the off season. I know, but he talked more. He talked a little bit, I guess, in more terms than that. Um, he sounded good. He sounded okay yeah. with what's going on with him in this offseason and some of the training he's doing. Um, okay, so having said that, recruiting is going to be huge for him, and he knows it. Um, they've got – I don't know if it's been reported yet, so I'll, I'll say it here, and you might be able to correct me. Or not. He told me they've got seven visitors officially coming that first weekend in June. And um, like I said earlier, it's all about getting them on campus so they can actually see campus. And that's when he thinks that maybe they can start seeing an uptick in the type of players and quality of players, I guess you could say, that they get. For him, they need to get back in the top 10 recruiting consistently year after year. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult for them to get where they want to be. Um, I do think that he believes that they can win championships, but he's not really set a timeline on that. And, but I do think that he he will need to say something like after year one or year two of here's where we're going. And this is where I think we're going to be. I don't think honestly, now is the time to go, Hey, within three years, we'll be in the SEC championship game because he's still feeling out that roster from what I can understand and what he's got and what he can do. Um, it was also interesting to me, we were talking and he was talking about how, you know, this was a separate conversation, but it led into my question about this, about um, the big time programs we've seen that have somehow managed to be consistent with it. And Alabama is that program right now, nationally and of course in the SEC. Boise State, though, has done that where he's been and before him, but Boise State started slipping a little bit, and he admits it. And it's because other programs started using their blueprint before he was even there and started building that their programs up, whether it was personnel, finances, or just how they recruited. 
And so programs like San Jose State with their facilities and some of the other things started catching up with them. And it became tougher even for Boise State to win that conference on a consistent basis. He says when he looks at the SEC, he mentioned it by name. He goes, listen, Alabama is the class of the SEC. And, you know, they can learn some Auburn can learn some things from that blueprint, believe it or not. Um, I know fans would not want to want to hear that, but that's that's the truth. And he he said that. Um, but there's also other programs he, he can look to in the SEC that he has studied, he says, that he has studied and saw how they did it, and he will adopt. But for the most part, his blueprint is going to be the same one that not only he used at Boise State, but Chris Peterson used before him and Dan Hawkins. This isn't – his blueprint is not one – that he developed himself. This is something he really took from his previous days playing and then coaching alongside those Boise State coaches I just mentioned, and he's made into his own, but he's trying to add some SEC flavor in that because he says he, he is he made sure to study what's made these great SEC programs consistent um, over the years. And, um, you know, for Auburn, it's had amazing highs, but it's never been – year after year consistent. I mean, I, I it's hard to believe, but Auburn's only had back-to-back 10-win seasons once in its entire history. It's nuts to think that, considering all the success Auburn has had. Crazy. And, and um, but he he knows that. And uh, he thinks, here's, all right, and here here's the, the number one thing to me. He thinks he can get Auburn to that consistent level where they're winning 10 games a year. And it's not, up, down, up, down, up, mediocre, 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 really up, then down again. He thinks he could be more consistent. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's different than competing for an SEC championship and making the playoff every year. Like, Yeah, and that's, I mean, I, definitely. Important for him to realize that, and it sounds like he does realize that. Yeah, um, listen, I think he does, and in, in our conversation, I, I don't think he ever once said playoff, to be quite honest. Yeah. He just said getting in that position to be able to, to contend and win the SEC, but to get there, they've got to be much more um, consistent against certain teams. And I, it's almost like he, uh, he heard why Gus was fired, you know, and said, we got yep. to do better against Georgia and, and Alabama and LSU. Yep. And maybe, I mean, depending on what happens with Texas A&M, they're starting to get better. Too. That's so, it. That that to me, Nathan, is the big thing. Yeah, everybody's you, all their coaches gotta, are good in the West right now too. You got to hold off A and M because A and M's in a position now after having three straight top seven recruiting classes, and they they're coming off a ninety one year. They're about to become the second best team in the SEC and the team that takes over what Auburn was doing this previous decade, which is beating Alabama like every three years and getting to the SEC championship game, and that's a tough thing to kind of crack. Because guess what? A&M was on the outside looking in, trying to overtake Auburn for that spot. And they it looks like they're in a position to finally do that. And now Auburn's on the outside looking in with that. And you still have LSU, too, fighting for that second spot. Yeah, it doesn't – I mean, it does – and looking down at, like, what Sam Pittman did last year at Arkansas and Lane Kiffin is obviously exciting. Mike Leach is, is Mike Leach. But – I mean, it's it. He might have entered the most, the best coaching division in the country. Certainly, one of the best. I know Nick Saban obviously buoys that. But Brandon, last one, and then we'll let you go. Appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, 
what is your, I'm glad you brought up Texas A&M because that's a team I'm pretty high on for next year too. But what does your SEC look like just right now at a distance? Still got a long way to go. Um, but I was thinking today about media days and how that's going to be an exciting time for us all to start throwing around projections that won't mean anything in the long run, but it's just a lot of fun to talk about. Um, we're kind of in the heart of that talking season right now. Um, what's like one or two main storylines, not Auburn related. We'll just close after talking about Brian Harson that don't relate to Auburn that you are really going to have your eye on, I guess, I guess past Texas A&M because you talked about that a good bit. Uh, all right. So number one, Texas A&M being able to use that nine and one season to repeat that type of success, despite replacing the quarterback and Kellen Mond, and then also filling some holes along their offensive line. If they can win nine games again this year with a longer schedule, I think that to me will signal with a new quarterback that signals to me, A&M is here to stay for at least the next four or five years, because as I said, because they're recruiting Ole Miss, if their defense is just even better by any stretch of the imagination, I yep. think they will could very possibly challenge and to win nine games this year. Really? Yep. I think they could win as many nine games if their defense improves. And that offense, of course, at least stays the same. Yeah, they had the I, worst defense in the country at points last it, year, right? At that and at one point, it was on pace to be the worst defense in Power Five history. It's not of great. Of course, they bounced back a little bit. Believe it or not, their defense won the bowl game. Yeah. For them. Yeah, they had that um, safety from Georgia, right? Is he still there? Uh, well, they've got – listen, I think they're good at linebacker this year, and that's going to be the yep. difference for them. I think they're going to be pretty good at linebacker. But – um, their defense gotten a little bit better as the season progressed. If they could get better, they, I, they're going to be a challenge to win nine games this year. LSU, I think, is probably going to win ten. It's going to be them and AM neck and neck, and that their clash in November is going to be something to watch, I think. Um, Bama, um, I'm not to say they're start out slow, but what you see in game one compared to game seven or eight is going to be incredible. It's going to be like watching a car going from zero to 60. It's it. They're loaded still, despite having new starters and a new quarterback and Bryce Young. But um, on paper right now to me, Alabama's got the second best receiving core in the nation behind Ohio State. By the end of the year, Bama's might be number one because they have so many youngsters in that receiving core. They're so scary. Um, uh, Arkansas, probably very similar to what they were last year. I think they get a little bit of a downgrade this year at quarterback replacing, uh, Franks. Uh, they got, uh, it looks like KJ Jefferson. They also lost, uh, one of their, one of the better receivers in the entire country, Michael Woods. He transferred to OU after their spring game, uh, Mississippi state. That's a team to watch. I don't think they challenge for like nine wins or something like that, like Ole Miss, but they will have a winning season this year. I don't think there's there's no doubt in my mind it's going to happen despite what we saw last year. I think Will Rogers will probably end up being the quarterback there. And, you know, just quick on Auburn, they will go as far as Bo Nix leads them. I know everybody is probably thinking, hey, lean on Tank Bigsby and all that. But if if they can't throw the ball very well and Bo Nix plays like he did, especially last season, that's going to be at like a 500 team. Um because I think that defense is, might not be as good as it was last year, despite having some guys come back. Um, Bo Nix better improve this year. And like I said, it certainly sounds like that um, he's going to be the starter from talking to uh, from the new head coach, Brian Harson. Yeah, I think mechanics is the biggest thing for them right now. I think they're really trying to work on that, him and Mike Bobo. Uh, Brandon, really, really great stuff. Really, really appreciate you. 
coming on. You guys can follow him at B Marcello on Twitter. And of course, whenever you do post that story slash stories that come out of this interview with Brian Harson, we will share those with y'all. We will let y'all know when Brandon's got those out. Appreciate it, Brandon. Have a good rest of your road trip around uh, around this footprint. Stay safe yeah. and everything. It was so, so great to be back in Auburn. I drove by my old house today. Oh, man. Um, our old house and uh, sent pictures to my wife. And she's like, oh, our little magnolia tree still kicking. You know, we miss we really miss living here. And we can't wait till Jackson's a little bit bigger and we bring him here, our son. So, yeah, that'll it be was fun. great. To, it's great to be here for a couple of days. Awesome. Awesome. That'll be a good time. Did you get any tumors lemonade? I didn't, and I my wife's gonna kill me because I was supposed to get some postcards and mail them mm. mail them to my son, so because he likes opening mail and looking at mail, and I did not do that today. So mm. I might be staying. I, I might be staying in Auburn. <laughs> you know they have frozen lemonade right now, right? Is that past what? your time? Did you not know that? I did it's not. It's like Sonic slushy. Oh my bros! It's it's killer. It's better. I don't than- want. I don't want to hear that because I'm on a diet. Okay, I've, I've I apologize. Lost, I lost like thirty pounds, and I don't want to gain it all back in a day. It, that lemonade's good, but oh my gosh, it will. That's pure sugar. You, it's pure sugar. Right, probably probably making everybody else want to go get a go get a tumor slushy frozen thing if you haven't yet. Um, appreciate actually, it, <laughs> actually, hold on, real quick, okay. hold on, slide it in there. I don't have I, this. Isn't a name image likeness thing. I'm not getting money for this. Get a tumor's lemonade and go to Little Italy and get a slice. It's the best combination. Yes. It is. I love it. 100%. You heard it from the man himself. He's got experience <laughs> with it. Um, Brandon, again, appreciate it so, so much. We are going to get to a quick break here on the podcast. We'll be right back. You guys are listening to the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Appreciate everybody tuning into the show, joining us on this edition of the podcast. Thanks to Brandon again for joining us. Thought he had some good, fresh perspective on Brian Harson and kind of the state of the Auburn program and what things look like moving forward. Again, be on the lookout for those stories coming from him, his dispatch from Auburn. Whenever he does get that up, I will definitely let you guys know. Please go leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast if you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy the show, shoot me a message. However, you can reach me uh, Twitter. My DMs are open. You can hit me on my email through Twitter. You can find me on our message board. You can direct message me there. Any feedback you guys have, definitely, definitely let me know. Our intro and outro music is by Beats by Mordecai. You can find him on SoundCloud, Twitter, and Instagram. And until the next edition of the show, everybody have a good weekend. I'll talk to you guys later.